from the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. Welcome to Volume 40, Number 43 of Grapevine. This is online version number 31, recorded on the 23rd of October 2020. In this week's news, Norfolk's medical officer reviews the county's progress with the virus. Our ambulance trust is put into special measures. And on a lighter note, a local school is moving, but only by a few hundred yards. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Margaret. Plus, the Norfolk gal in Dusty comes out as she tells us a few yarns, and Margaret takes a look at a Mercury from 1960. As usual, though, we start with some news. Hello, everybody. I'm Margaret, and I'm bringing you this week's news, as well as meandering through the Mercury of October 1960. First of all, a reminder that British summertime ends at 2am on Sunday the 25th of October, so don't forget to put your clocks back. Oh, how miserable that is. Anyway, I hope to have something uplifting items to cheer you up, so if you're sitting comfortably, then I'll begin. Corona cases stabilising in Norfolk, County's Health Chief says. The county's health chief says coronavirus cases are stabilising as Norfolk was declared open for business ahead of the half-term break. But Dr Louise Smith, Director of Public Health for Norfolk, emphasised that a regular steady rise in the infection rate was still being detected. Speaking at a Norfolk County Council press conference yesterday, Dr Smith provided an update on the county's doubling rate the speed at which the number of positive tests multiplies. She said, It is a fair assessment to say last week when we looked at seven-day numbers, they were going up rapidly and the doubling time in most of Norfolk had gone below seven days. I was relieved to see when we look at the data today that for all districts the doubling time has reached double figures so that the number of people who have the virus is doubling but it is taking more than 10 days to do so. Our numbers are, to some extent, stabilising. Cases, however, continuing to climb, with the latest figures for Norwich and Great Yarmouth showing significant rises. Numbers are going up and we can measure the time it is taking for the number of cases to double. Dr Smith and Andrew Proctor, leader of Norfolk County Council, provided updates on several other key areas in the county's fight against coronavirus. As the nation adjusts to the new three-tier system, concerns have been raised over the possibility of people travelling from areas with high infection rates to those with relatively low rates, such as Norfolk. The situation has, however, presented a double-edged sword with hundreds of businesses in the tourism sector largely reliant on half-term visitors to boost their survival hopes. I want to emphasise that Norfolk is very much open for business, said Mr Proctor. It is half-term and we expect people to come and visit us. We also expect families in the county to want to get out. 
It's a message to everybody to get out and enjoy the county, but enjoy it safely. I would expect people in Tier 3 areas to be staying in their areas, but others are more than welcome to come to Norfolk. There are lots of businesses here who recognise they need the trade at this time of the year. There is not believed to be a direct risk to tourists who visit Great Yarmouth during half-term, Dr Smith confirmed. On Wednesday, health officials revealed they were battling to contain an outbreak of coronavirus at Bernard Matthews Norfolk headquarters after 75 workers contracted the virus. Hundreds of afternoon shift workers at Great Witcham were sent home and ordered to isolate with their immediate families for 14 days, following mass testing of 660 employees. Dr Smith said contact tracing was being utilised to identify those who have been in close proximity. She added, We are very clear that outbreaks amongst workforce, particularly in meat processing plants, are high risk because of the nature of the environment and the ease with which the virus appears to spread. It follows Norfolk's largest single COVID-19 outbreak at Bannon Poultry, which saw 130 out of 800 on-site employees test positive. And last week, the County Council confirmed a small number of employees at Cranswick Country Foods Watton also had COVID-19. As students began returning to university last month, the challenge of containing the virus in densely populated environments, such as halls of residence, became apparent. The situation was no different at the University of East Anglia, and by October the 9th, the number of confirmed cases stood at 73. But rigorous rules have been implemented by university bosses and the latest evidence suggests their efforts are reaping rewards. The data started to come through suggests the number of cases they are diagnosing is slowing down, said Dr Smith. That's a tribute to the students who are complying with what they're being asked to do, to self-isolate and reduce transmission. Importance of track and trace in an impassioned speech, Dr Smith also highlighted the importance of Norfolk's population and visitors to the county taking part in the track and trace operation. Doubts have been raised over the willingness of some users to provide accurate contact details, thus rendering the technology pointless. As a country, we face the biggest peacetime challenges we have ever faced, added Dr Smith. Our answer to defeating, surviving and prospering in the face of the pandemic is to pull together as a community, as a society and as a country. That's a very deeply held value of what the purpose of public health is. It's all about protecting yourself in order to protect others and protect our community. I would absolutely urge people to participate in contact tracing because it is for the benefit of their friends and family and their community. Further restrictions. Norfolk remains a medium COVID-19 risk, the lowest level of the three-tier system imposed across England. But with cases continually on the rise, 
Mr Proctor was asked whether it was inevitable the county would eventually move up from its current Tier 1 status. He said, As it stands, we are certainly not advocating a change of the tier we are in, simply because the figures don't show that we need to. Clearly, if there are massive changes, we'll have to look at it again. Ambulance service placed in special measures after inspectors uncover bullying. The region's troubled ambulance service has been placed into special measures after inspectors uncovered bullying and sexual harassment. The East of England Ambulance Service Trust, EEAST, will now receive enhanced support, NHS England said on Monday, to improve its services. An improvement director will be appointed. The board of directors will be given training and staff will be encouraged to speak up against bullying, the NHS said. It comes after inspectors from the Care Quality Commission, the CQC, found its leadership was inadequate and criticised a culture of bullying at the service. The CQC has repeatedly praised staff and the care they give, but found problems with its leadership culture. Inspectors also found that 13 staff had been reported to police for inappropriate behaviour towards staff and patients, including sexual harassment allegations. Anne Radmore, East of England Regional Director for NHS England, said, While the East of England Ambulance Service NHS Trust has been working through its many challenges, there are long-standing concerns around culture, leadership and governance, and it is important that the Trust supports its staff to deliver the high quality care that patients deserve. We know that the Trust welcomes this decision and shares our commitment to reshape its culture and address quality concerns for the benefit of staff, patients and the wider community. In an email to staff on Monday, the East's leadership said, we are taking urgent action to address challenges across the organisation and make sure we embed a culture that supports you to deliver the best possible care for patients. They said they were already making progress, including by sending out a survey to staff, appointing a Freedom to Speak Up guardian, protecting staff from inappropriate behaviour and putting in a new system to monitor the safety of private ambulances, which the Trust hires. As reported earlier this month, East's Chief Executive Dorothy Hossein is on sick leave. Staff at Autism Centre rally round after amazing key workers' bicycle stolen. Staff at a social centre for children with autism are rallying round after a key worker's bicycle was stolen while he was at work. Kurt Greenwood discovered his bike, which he needs to get to Sunbeam's Play on Gapton Hall Road, Great Yarmouth, was stolen on Friday, October the 16th. It came just after the 22-year-old, who was on the spectrum himself, had enjoyed a special evening after being presented with a superhero mug in recognition of all his hard work during the pandemic. 
Centre Deputy Manager Sue Carr said Mr Greenwood was a favourite among children at the centre, which was operating to reduced capacity to comply with social distancing. He goes above and beyond with everything he does to make everyone feel happy, she said. He will do anything to support them and to make them feel happy. He's an amazing young man. It's such an unkind thing to do to a lovely person. The bike was stolen between 4pm and 8pm on Friday while Mr Greenwood was leading play sessions with children. Thieves cut through fencing to take the bike, which also had a second lock on the back wheel. Mrs Carr said the theft had sparked anger and disappointment among staff who were rallying round offering lifts to and from his home in Galston where he lives with his fiancée. She added it was his only means of transport and was needed four or five times a week for his shifts. On Friday he had dressed up as Captain America to entertain the children and had been presented with a Captain Sunbeams mug with his face on it as a thank you for all his efforts. He was having such a lovely time and when he got outside and found his bike was gone he thought someone had played a joke on him. We were looking for it when we saw the fence had been cut. He couldn't believe it. He had worked really hard to get where he is and saved up for that bike. We just want to help him to get it back. The bike is a blue Carrera with black wheels, blue bullet dust caps, a bell and a light on the handlebars, a backlight and scratches to the top of the frame. The incident has been reported to the police. Ten Norfolk churches added to at-risk list of heritage, which could be lost. No county in Britain has a richer concentration of historic churches than Norfolk, but heritage watchdogs have added ten of them to a list of buildings at risk of being lost. Concern that decay, neglect or lack of money for conservation could threaten their future has prompted Historic England to add them to its Heritage at Risk Register 2020. The Brighton news is that seven Norfolk sites have been removed from the list because of positive efforts to safeguard them. While most of the churches date back to medieval times, one of the churches added to the list was built much more recently. The Great Two listed St Peter's Roman Catholic Church in Galston was designed in 1938-39 by sculptor Eric Gill, whose other projects included Broadcasting House in London. While the community has worked hard to protect the church, the windows and gutters are in poor condition and there is evidence of leaks. Historic England is supporting the congregation, which is aiming to apply to the National Lottery Heritage Fund for funding to make repairs. Also added are the Grade 1 Parish Church of All Saints in Walsoken, St Martin at Oak in Oak Street, Norwich, St Margaret's in Benedict Street in Norwich, St Mary's in Mortby, St Martin's in Hindringham, St Peter and St Paul's in Watlington, St Lawrence's in Hartley, St Peter's in Fawnset and St Mary's in North Elmham. 
Tony Calladine, Regional Director for Historic England in the East of England said, it is the varied tapestry of our historic places that helps us define who we are. In testing times such as these, heritage gives us a sense of belonging, continuity and comfort. We also know that investing in historic places can help boost our economic recovery. We knew it was special. Teen metal detectorist finds historic coin, possibly worth thousands. A teen metal detectorist dug up a coin dating back nearly a thousand years and potentially worth thousands of pounds at auction. Rhys Pickering, a 17-year-old catering apprentice from Great Yarmouth, found a Saxon coin in farmer's fields in Topcroft, a village near Bungie, in August. He was metal detecting with his dad, Johnny Crow, when he discovered a Harold II silver penny, a Saxon coin dating back to 1066, the year of the Battle of Hastings 954 years ago. The coin has a guide price of £2,500 to £3,000. Mr Crow, a 41-year-old welder, said, The coin has been recorded with the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge. Only two others are known to exist. It's worth around £3,000 but could sell for more. The day Rees found it, we were out metal detecting in a couple of farmers' fields. We'd only come across rubbish. The next minute I heard Rhys shouting and waving from the other side of the field. I went over and there he was with his find. He kicked the dirt away, picked up the coin and gave it a wipe and we knew it was special. He said they put the coin up for identification and it turned out to be a rare Cambridge Mint Harold II penny. Rhys has just turned 17, but he was only 16 when he found it, Mr Crow said. He's been metal detecting for a couple of years. In fact, he introduced me to the hobby and he loves his history. It's his biggest find to date, but not his first. Rhys, a catering apprentice who goes metal detecting most weekends, said, It was pretty special to find. I wasn't expecting to come across such a scarce and remarkable coin. It's a day I'll remember forever. I can't imagine finding something as special as this again. You just never know what's beneath your feet. Harold II was the last crowned Anglo-Saxon King of England. He reigned from January the 6th, 1066, until his death at the Battle of Hastings on October the 14th, 1066. Well done, Rhys. Man charged after heroin worth £1,000 seized from car. A man from Great Yarmouth has been charged after heroin worth more than £1,000 was seized from a car. Inquiries led officers from the Operation Moonshot team to stop the Vauxhall insignia on the A47 Acre Strait in the early hours of Monday morning, October the 19th. The driver and passengers were arrested on suspicion of drug offences and taken to Great Yarmouth Police Station for questioning. The driver, a 37-year-old man, 
was questioned and released under investigation while inquiries continue. The passenger, a 36-year-old man, was found in possession of a large quantity of heroin and later charged with possession of a Class A drugs with intent to supply. Louis Vaz of King Street, Great Yarmouth, was remanded in police custody and appeared at Norwich Magistrates Court via video link on Tuesday morning, October the 20th, when he was released on bail with curfew conditions to appear at Norwich Crown Court on November the 17th. Thanks, Margaret. More news shortly. But firstly, it's the gal Dusty. Hello, me old booties. How are you getting on together? It's time for a bit more Norfolk squid. I expect you'll understand exactly what I'm saying on, because you live here and all. We talk proper, we do. I just want to tell you, I see my old friend Gertie again the other day. I say, how are you getting on then? Oh, she say, I'm fed up with all these air restriction things. They keep a-changing on their minds. I know this bloomin' old Covid thing would end in tears. Think about that one. Anyhow, she say, before we all got locked up, I took my father's little old stuffed dog, what he had as a kid, to the Antiques Roadshow when that come a Cromer. And the man what was a doing on it, he say to me, This is very rare, he say. Do you know what that would fetch if that was in good condition? Oh, I say, I don't know. Sticks, I suppose. Oh, by the way, she say, did you hear on the news about Nelly the Elephant? No, I say, what? Oh, she say, that tested positive for Covid. I say, well, wherever did she get that from? She say, Trump, Trump, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my heart alive. <laughs> I say, did you now see that man going up the hill? He got a trolley full of horseshoes and rabbit's feet. She say, no, I never see him. But he must be pushing his luck, though, mustn't he? <laughs> then she say, I can't stand here talking to you all day. You got your EDP under your arm, haven't you? Well, they're celebrating 150 years, you know. You better go home and read a bit about and see what that old Keith Skipper have to say. So, I did just that, and I found that he was having a moan about jargon. He say, bright Norfolk people know that's what fitness fanatics do before breakfast, they go a jargon. <laughs> and then, then he tells us how to use our Norfolk expressions as proper speak. He say, and I'll put it poshly now because then you'll understand why we get it right. Let's put it this way. Worst case scenario. Oh, that's something bad. <laughs> Positive feedback. Oh, that's only good. Let's run this up the flagpole and see who salutes. <laughs> Ain't got a clue what's going on. At the end of the day, I shutting up time. <laughs> Level playing field. <laughs> that ain't been built on yet. 
at this moment in time, what about now, I reckon? <laughs> and can you run that past me again? Sorry, I weren't listening. <laughs> I hear what you say. Oh, don't you talk last squid. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. <laughs> you don't fool me. <laughs> when all is said and done. Yeah, well, that's your lot, isn't it? And so then he goes on to talk about the weather. He said that Samuel Johnson, who didn't even make it to the University of East Anglia Climatic Research Unit, put it rather well. When two Englishmen meet, their first talk is of the weather. They are in haste to tell each other what each other already know, that it is hot, cold, bright or cloudy, windy or calm. The good doctor, he say, would be pleased to hear his diagnosis of human nature still holds firm as we shuffle up and down the loke of life, crunching leaves all the way, exchanging little bulletins of the blinking obvious as it gets dark over Will's mother's. Perhaps we're all in the same boat as Jerome K. Jerome, he say, when he mused, we shall never be content until each man makes his own weather and keeps it to himself. Even so, we ought to relish that chance to give whatever we get a distinctive local flavour. Only in Norfolk do that all us pick a wet day to rain. <laughs> My village mentors of over 60 years ago would scan the skies at any time of day or night, securing the knowledge everybody talked about the weather, but nobody did anything about it. Several old tillers of the Norfolk soil echoed Shakespeare when welcoming the sun as bright Phoebus in his strength. A winter's tale inspired this sparkling summary of relentless events. First that blue, then that snow, and then that thaw. And out of that, oh, that turned around and frizz again. Droll humour kept it all in perspective. He goes on to say, Slow old dry out today, lit up a long spell of persistent rain. Do you come on in out on it? Brought relief to the Saturday boy, dripping toward the barn in rubber boots. At least two sizes too big for him. Cue for old time music hall routine among the sacks, tarpaulins and sheltering machinery. Don't think the sun's are coming out today. Well, would you come out on a day like this? <laughs> Master reckon that only rained twice on his holiday. <laughs> yeah, once for three days and once for four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. brilliant. Second week in a row that we've had a piece from the pen of Keith Skipper, expertly enunciated by Dusty. Back to Margaret now for more news, including some old news from 1960. Security guard who saved man's life named industry hero in national campaign. A security guard who helped to save a man's life has been named an industry hero for going the extra mile for his community. Chris Church, 37, a security officer from Lowestoft, was patrolling Great Yarmouth's former marina centre at 10pm on September the 20th when he was forced into incident mode. A man with a knife wound on his neck had entered the water at Yarmouth Seafront, 
with Mr Church coaxing him out and placing pressure on the wound until the ambulance arrived. In recognition of his efforts, the Security Industry Authority, a public body regulating private security operations in the UK, has featured Mr Church on its hashtag SIA Heroes campaign. Chief Executive Ian Todd said, Christopher's story is testament to the fact that despite the challenges, many operatives are going the extra mile to serve their communities throughout the COVID-19 crisis. Mr Church added, the man kept thanking me and telling me I'd saved his life. He's still in hospital, but is now in a stable condition. Oh, and this is a nice story. This will cheer you all up. You have lifted the spirits of the nation. PM's praise for Norfolk Knitting Queen. The great Yarmouth woman whose knitted lockdown masterpiece has created headlines around the world has won the praise of Boris Johnson. In a personal letter, the Prime Minister hailed Margaret Seaman's inspirational wooden wonder dubbed Knittingale Hospital, a knitted version of the temporary wards brought in in response to the coronavirus pandemic. He said, I was inspired to hear of your fantastic Knittingale Hospital, through which you have sewn together a stunning symbol of our NHS and a wonderful tribute to the extraordinary men and women who are fighting on the front line of our battle against coronavirus. You have raised thousands of pounds and lifted the spirits of the nation. His words came as he handed out a daily Points of Light award aimed at recognising outstanding volunteer and community contributions that make a difference. Mrs Seaman's Knitted Hospital has so far raised around £5,000 as people move to translate their admiration into cash for Norfolk's three main hospitals. Overall, however, she has raised over £50,000 with previous knitting feats, including Great Yarmouth Seafront in the 1970s and half of Sandringham House, the Queen's Norfolk residence. She said she was delighted with the award, although she hasn't received the letter yet. The 91-year-old and her daughter Patricia Wilson took a phone call last week confirming Mr Johnson's intention to applaud her achievements via the awards scheme. She said she was speechless to discover her knitting efforts had caught the eye of the PM. I cannot believe it, she said. I've not come down to earth yet. I look at it different to other people. It does not seem to me that I'm doing anything special. I enjoy what I'm doing and I like to keep on doing it as long as I can. People like looking at the knitting and I like raising the money too. Knitting Hill recently faced a bank of local and national photographers at the Forum in Norwich, but it has been packed away until February when it will be on display as part of the Norfolk Makers Festival. Meanwhile, Mrs Seaman has a string of interviews to complete, talking to reporters over various digital platforms from across the world. She is always alert to new venues that can host the model and crucially help it to raise more money. But with that project in the bag, she's turning her attention back to Sandringham, which is only half finished, 
ahead of a planned period of display in the ballroom of its real-life counterpart. To donate, visit the Just Giving website and search for Margaret Seaman. A few people blatantly refuse. Police patrol buses to enforce mask wearing. Police carried out patrols on local buses to make sure passengers were wearing face masks. Between Friday and Sunday, officers enforced coronavirus rules on public transport in Great Yarmouth Town Centre. Area Operations Manager for First Bus, Alvin Parker, said he welcomed the patrols after drivers were getting fed up with those who blatantly refused to wear a face covering. He said, in Great Yarmouth, up and down the country, most people have been sensible and considerate, but our drivers do experience a few people who blatantly refuse to wear a face covering, which is not helpful to anyone. Last weekend, the police were undertaking checks at the bus station, ensuring people were complying with the face covering rule when travelling by bus unless they were exempt. We welcome the support provided by the police, which does help in reminding people of the rule and in turn helps our drivers get customers to their destinations more safely. A Norfolk Police spokesperson said the patrols followed a recent rise in local cases of coronavirus and were aimed at providing additional reinsurance to the local community while cases continue to fall. It added, there were high levels of compliance and while words of advice were given on a couple of occasions, no fines were issued. The patrols, although initiated by police and not requested by first bus, came after it was revealed a company driver is in hospital suffering from coronavirus. The driver, based at the Great Yarmouth Depot, is being treated at the James Paget Hospital in Galston. Oh, another nice story. This will cheer you up. Theatre launches surprise Christmas season following Lifeline Recovery Grant. A coastal theatre will be opening for an unexpected Christmas season after a government grant offered a last-minute Lifeline. The Pavilion Theatre in Galston has been closed since March but will reopen in November for a series of COVID-secure Christmas shows after receiving nearly £72,000 as part of a nationwide cultural recovery fund. Director Stuart Malkovich said, We decided earlier this year to cancel all performances because there was no way we could go ahead with them in a safe way without losing money. The grant has given us the breathing room for planning how we can reopen safely next year. Our limited Christmas season is a great way for us to test that process. We can't wait to have our audiences back in the theatre where they belong. And not only that, but the pavilion is set to be the new home of Centrepin TV, an arts TV channel which found success streaming live music on Saturday nights during the lockdown period. Staff have hailed it an exciting opportunity. And you can book tickets at galstonpavilion.ticketsolve.com.
dot com slash shows. Back to its roots, a 150-year-old pub reopens under new management. A pub in Galston is looking back to its roots after reopening under new management. The 150-year-old premises on Key Road in Galston had traded for the last few years as the Celt, but it has recently reverted to its original name and will be known as the Bellevue Inn. David Taylor, 38, the pub's new landlord said, everybody knows it as the Bellevue. The premises which looks out over the mouth of the harbour was built in 1876 and originally called Bellevue House, then hotel and then tavern, but had to wait until 1950 before obtaining its full licence. There was another name change in 1981 when it was renamed the Bellevue Singers before reverting to Bellevue Tavern and then becoming the Celt. Mr Taylor, who's lived in Gorson his whole life and took over the pub in August, said, I'd prefer it to be back to its roots. Everybody knows it as the Bellevue. When I was younger, I used to drink in here when it was the Bellevue. And I've been looking to get the pub for a while, he said. When the lease came up, I signed. Mr Taylor said that taking over the pub is a big gamble but he hopes to run a busy bar and restaurant with a bed and breakfast on the first floor. He has been refurbishing the rooms above the bar, which had been in a derelict state, he said. As regards the ground floor, he's still in two minds about whether to run the premises as a bar and restaurant or instead as a full restaurant. We'll wait and see, he said. The new landlord has hired a chef and food is being served from Wednesday through to Sunday, 12pm to 2pm and 5pm to 9pm, with main courses including burgers, Thai curry, beer-battered haddock and sirloin steak. Mr Taylor's father used to run the Duke's Head and the tramways in Galston. I've worked for my dad in pubs. It's something I've always wanted to do, he said. The pub is currently open at 11am with last orders at 9.15pm. Cousins on the coast sending football socks to underprivileged children. A pair of cousins have launched a charity that sends football socks to children in underprivileged countries so they can play the game without damaging their feet. One of the two men, Nade Ward, a football coach from Caister, was taking part in a volunteer project last year in St Lucia, an island in the Caribbean, when he was struck by the sight of children playing football barefoot, even though there were donated boots sitting on a shelf at the house where he was staying. Mr Ward, 22, said, I was confused as to why. I couldn't understand why the children were not using the football boots until I spoke to the Caribbean director of charity United Through Sport, who explained that a lot of these children do not have socks to wear. So even though they do receive some football boot donations, they're not always able to use them because without socks, 
the boots will only blister and damage the kids' feet even more. For something we all take for granted, I thought, surely there's a way to fix that. The trip had inspired him, and after returning to Caister, Mr Ward challenged himself and his cousin Connor Ward, who works at Yarmouth Stores, to do something about the problem. Of course, due to hygiene reasons, people never donate old socks. So the cousins eventually settled on establishing a business where every time somebody buys a pair of their football socks, they donate a smaller sized pair to a child within the country, either St Lucia or Mauritius, the customer has chosen to support. The charity's name is Soccer Share, and it has partnered with United Through Sport, a charity aiming to help disadvantaged communities reach their full potential in sport, education and health. Mr Ward, who studied at Caister High School, said the aim is to grow soccer share to a point where they work with multiple charities in multiple countries. No child, regardless of economic wealth or the country they live in, should have to play football in bare feet, Mr Ward said. To support the charity's mission and purchase a pair of socks, visit its website www.soccershare.co.uk as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Soccershare. And as you probably gathered, Soccershare is spelt S-O-C-K-E-R S-H-A-R-E. Very clever. And now I'm going to have a meander of the pages of the Great Yarmouth Mercury from October 1960. These are the items that caught my eye. Galston's early closing day is to be Wednesday instead of Thursday. This watch committee recommendation made after representation by Gorston Chamber of Commerce was approved by Great Yarmouth Town Council. Now I remember at the time this caused a great deal of upset because if you worked in a shop in Yarmouth and your loved one worked in a shop in Gorston then you couldn't spend your half day together. Now another interesting item. Phased plan to remove prefabs at Shublands. First steps in the plan to remove the 711 prefab bungalows which comprise the Shoblands estate at Galston were approved by the Housing Committee. The phased clearance programme divided the estate into seven areas and the prefabs would be removed over seven years. And this time, news of a building that was being opened. Estate Hostel for Old Folk of Galston. Magdalen House, the corporation's new hostel on the Magdalen College estate, will soon be open. The new hostel will take 40 old and infirm residents and 20 blind residents. The building started last year has cost £69,000 and furniture and fittings another £8,000. It has 12 single bedrooms, 23 double, one bedroom with four beds, large lounges, modern kitchen and toilet facilities, special handicraft rooms for the blind and a veranda. 
there will be a resident staff of four attendants, a resident cook and several daily helpers. And I do apologise for some of the words they've used there. Certainly not PC in today's world. Old folk indeed. <laughs> Entertainment now. The summer shows had all finished, the holiday makers gone home, so it was back to the good old pictures. At the Regal, there was Janet Lee and Tony Perkins in Psycho, and the Aquarium, Gordon McRae and Shirley Jones in Carousel. On Saturday nights, the good old Floral Hall offered a modern dance night, admission four and sixpence. And I rather suspect that 90% of courtships began in the heady atmosphere of that place in the 1960s. I know several of my friends say that. And I seem to remember they never sold alcohol. You had to get your hand rubber stamped at half time. Then you went across to the Pier Hotel for your shandy. Oh my word, there's living. So if you wanted to stay at home, you could buy a 17 inch television set for 59 guineas from Car and Car or you could rent one for six shillings a week. Well, what could you buy back in 1960? Well, at the top end of the market, you could purchase a squirrel coat for 145 guineas or a musquash coat for 79 guineas from Norwich Fur Company. And good old Arnold's offered ladies velour coats at £7.19 and sixpence. While at Yama stores, they had men's donkey jackets at 48 and sixpence. Electric House had GEC cookers at 74 pound. And Mace shops had tins of creamed rice, 10 pence. Shorty's biscuits at seven pence. OK sauce, one and tuppence. Russian vodka, half a litre for 29 and sixpence. Dry sack sherry, 19 and sixpence and Caroni Navy Rum, 39 and sixpence. Now in the situation's vacant column, I spotted this advert. Lloyd's Bank require a young woman, 16 to 18, for clerical duties. Salary, 295 pounds per annum. Career can be continued after marriage. Fancy that. And for the motorists, Kluwer's cars offered a Ford console Mark II 1956, pearl grey two-tone interior leather, heater and other extras for £485, and a Ford Popular £195, 1955 Austin A30 with heater for £295. Right, now, to end with, the Mercury had a personal column in which I spotted the following. Is anybody, male or female, interested in forming a discussion group on philosophy, occultism, yogi, etc.? Must be sincere. <laughs> One that rather worried me. Gert, come home to 128 at once. Ill with worry over you. Urgent. Daisy. Did Daisy ever find Gert? I wonder. And what were you listening to in October 1960? Right, it's Now or Never, Elvis Presley, Kathy's Clown, the Everly Brothers, and Apache by the Shadows. And whoever learnt to do the Shadows Walk? Yes, I can remember that. Oh, my lost youth.
Right, we've more news this week than we've had since the lockdown began. And so it's back to Margaret for the final batch. We cannot stand by. Charity aims to fight holiday hunger with free ingredient kits. A regional charity is aiming to fight holiday hunger this winter by sending out free ingredient kits to families in need in Great Yarmouth. Figures published by Norfolk Insight, a data service run by the County Council, show that some of the town's wards, with Nelson at 32%, Central and Northgate at 25%, and Southtown and Cobham at 23%, have either above or nearly double the national average of 15.5% of children living far below the poverty line. The numbers, described by charity Access Community Trust as upsetting, have led the organisation to launch its PINK Orange Service in the town's NR30 and NR31 postcode areas. Families that normally receive free school meals in term time get healthy ingredient kits sent to their homes to help during school holidays. The charity which operates the community cafe at the Venetian Waterways is currently piloting the project at North Dean's Primary School, where about 140 children are eligible for free school meals. Angela Jeweller, the school's assistant head, said, It's quite difficult for people to get over the stigma of asking for help. So this project is amazing for our families. We've sent the message to the children already eligible for the free school meals and they can register for the ingredient kits during the coming half term. The main aim is to get the scheme embedded for Christmas. Miss Jeweller said, furlough is finishing at the end of October and then Christmas is coming up. It can be quite a stressful time for families. Each kit contains the exact quantities of fresh and ambient items required to prepare two weekly meals for each household. The bags also include recipe cards and links to a range of additional supportive resources made specifically for young people. Emma Ratzer, Chief Executive of Access Community Trust said, Great Yarmouth sits just outside of PINK Orange's heartland of Suffolk. However, we cannot stand by and watch over 3,000 young people and their families in a neighbouring community struggle to put food on the table this winter. Thanks to support from Norfolk Community Foundation, we have a real window of opportunity to fight back against holiday hunger, reverse the stigma attached to it, and support a generation that is sadly consistently overlooked. Two staff members at Holiday Park self-isolating after positive coronavirus tests. Two staff members at a local Holiday Park are currently self-isolating after testing positive for coronavirus. Haven Holiday Park in Hopton confirmed that two of its staff members had tested positive for the virus and were self-isolating, but that no one else so far has tested positive for the virus on site. A spokesperson for Haven confirmed the news. We currently have two members of the team who are isolating as a result of testing positive 
for COVID-19 and would immediately ask any team member to isolate if advised to do so by test and protect, he said. We have very strict protocols in place in relation to COVID-19. And if any team members show symptoms, we ask them to immediately self-isolate, to contact, test and trace and follow their guidance. We have been and continue to cooperate fully with test and protect and with all health regulators. And the holiday park remains open. Artisan bread service launched by former chef. A former chef who lost his job during the pandemic has found himself with a burgeoning bakery business just three months after launching. Having started baking for friends and family this summer, Simon Gray started selling his loaves and tray bakes and it's now flying off the shelves. I never expected it to snowball like this. I was on furlough for a few months and had become a bit disillusioned about being a chef anyway and wanted to look at doing something new. I started baking vegan bread as well as some focaccia and bagels and it went from there really, he said. Mr Gray's offering at SJG Foods currently consists of white and granary bloomers as well as bagels, rolls and two sizes of focaccia. Thanks to his culinary background, he has also experimented with ingredients, the majority of which are sourced locally, and so often has specialities on sale, such as olive and red onion chutney and sun-dried tomato and paprika focaccia. The 30-year-old Hemsby chef went on. Within a couple of weeks, I had some regular trade clients as well as people I was delivering to. I go out and do deliveries myself, which I really enjoy. At the moment, it's so rare for us to get out and meet people properly, and I've met lots of lovely customers, which has been a highlight. Mr Gray has been waking up around 4am on a regular day to bake around 30 to 40 loaves of bread. However, on days when he goes out to farmers markets, he has to wake up as early as 1.30am. He said, I've had so many people asking me about sourdough, but at the moment I just can't do it because of the time and oven space it will take up. It's already getting to the stage where I'd look at taking on premises, but it has to be the right combination of price and location. Having said that, I am keen to get into private dining in the vegan and vegetarian market. I've got a lot of experience in vegan restaurants and discerning how ethical ingredients and practices actually are instead of what they claim to be. The bread can be ordered online at the SJG Foods website. Hospital set to build £2.2 million extension. A £2.2 million project to expand the emergency department at James Paget University Hospital will get underway this week, as demand for treatment increases year on year, especially in the winter. The development will see part of the hospital's front facade extended towards the main car park and rebuilt, providing more space to assess patients and for those waiting to be seen. The new building will include 
an expansion in the number of cubicles from 11 to 14 for the assessment and treatment of patients attending with more serious conditions. A larger waiting room giving patients a more comfortable environment with space for social distancing. More space for patient triage, a separate children's waiting room, an ambulance cohort area to support ambulance turnarounds. The extension is expected to be open by December the 31st, providing additional space and capacity for the winter. A spokesperson has said that the three recent coronavirus related deaths reported at the hospital, where 16 patients are currently being treated for the virus, have not had an effect on the plans. The hospital's Chief Operating Officer Joanne Seagersby said, We are delighted to be able to start working on increasing the size of our emergency department, which will benefit both our patients and staff. Once this phase of work is completed, it will provide a far more modern, spacious, comfortable and safe environment for our patients at a time of the year when we are at our busiest. This is just the first phase of our emergency department expansion plans, with more work scheduled in 2021-22, which will include enhancing areas where children are assessed and treated. Funding worth £2.2 million from the Department of Health and Social Care is helping finance the building, following a successful bid by the hospital. Initial works will start this week, with the creation of a temporary roadway for ambulances and temporary pedestrian crossings by the A&E and main entrance to the hospital. From Thursday, October the 22nd, the 10-minute patient drop-off zone near the hospital entrance will be closed and users are asked to use Car Park A as an alternative where parking is free of charge for 30 minutes. These arrangements are expected to be in place for the next 12 to 16 weeks. Seafront nightclub could close for good, owner says. A nightclub owner who has told of his heartbreak and frustration after clubbing stopped due to COVID-19 fears the business will not survive beyond January. Mario George built a strong following at the Empire Lounge in Great Yarmouth, the last club left on the seaside strip and an anchor attraction. But social distancing, the 10pm curfew and a ban on dancing have made it impossible to trade. He has been shut for eight months and has had to lay off trusted staff, but has received only £5,000 in government support. I can keep going on till January, he said. He said he was hitting his head against a brick wall, trying to leave us some help to ensure he was still there when the clubs reopened. To keep ticking over, costs at least £3,000 a month in rent and bills. Mr George said the club was a big draw for the seafront and was well established. Last year he invested heavily in a new sound system and he felt it was unfair he had, had not received the financial support that other venues had because he was in a shared building. 
He said he'd been able to prove to Great Yarmouth Borough Council officers who are awarding the grants that he paid £8,000 a year in business rates, making him eligible for the £25,000 handout, but it was not forthcoming. He said, the money would have made a massive difference. In an ideal world, I want to reopen and get back to business as normal. I want some support so that when COVID is over, we can do that. We shut when we were told to shut. We've done everything we have been told. There are only two nightclubs left. Do they want us to close? He added, it makes me feel heartbroken being shut and the Empire just sitting there as I've invested a lot of time, money and effort into making a successful business. He added it was upsetting having to make good people redundant. On a pre-COVID Saturday night, he was full to capacity, with some 400 people enjoying the party on the first floor venue, which includes an outdoor terrace overlooking the sea. The venue is in the landmark tower complex on the Golden Mile, once home to Tiffany's and Caesar's Bar, both of which have been consigned to history. Great Yarmouth Borough Council has been approached for a comment. Great Yarmouth Racecourse hit by redundancies as turnover drops by £1 million. Six permanent jobs have been lost at Great Yarmouth Racecourse after a whole season of racing behind closed doors. The jobs are all within the hospitality and catering side of the business. Glenn Tubby, director of the racecourse, said turnover was down by a million pound this year. He said, we've had no paying customers at all this year. It's not just the racing, it's conferences, weddings and Christmas parties. The jobs that are going are customer-focused roles. Four of them are on furlough and two are working at the moment but are leaving at the end of the month. It's quite a few for a small team, but there's no catering, no ticket sales, no events. When customers do come back, that can be reviewed and I'm sure some staff will come back to match the return of business. The final fixture of the year, played out without any public attendance, took place on Tuesday, October the 20th, and the season is set to resume in April. Though we are a sporting venue, we are restaurant, bars, conference and events too, Mr Tubby added, and that sector has been hit the hardest. When customers come back, it will all change, but the million dollar question is when that will be. Casual staff, the people who work on race days, had already been laid off, he said, in September. The six new redundancies were all permanent jobs and amounted to almost half the total workforce. Around seven remain, four of whom are ground staff. Mr Tubby said there was still plenty to do with bookings rolled forward, health and safety work that needed to be done over the winter and planning. A provisional fixture list has been worked out for next year, despite the uncertain time. Online and TV revenue had created some income, but not nearly enough to eclipse the losses due to the pandemic in a sector that relied on paying customers and big crowds.
It means the world to us. Village Pub is crowned Business of the Year. A pub and restaurant has walked away with top honours at a business awards staged online during the coronavirus pandemic. The King's Arms at Flegborough was named Business of the Year at Great Yarmouth's Spirit of Enterprise Awards. Mark Dixon of the King's Arms said, Winning the awards means the world to us. It shows that commitment, hard work and working as a team pays off. I could not be proud of the King's Arms family and I'm looking forward to what the future brings. The venue was chosen from among category winners announced at the gala event held over an interactive video platform on Friday, October the 16th. Carl Smith, the council leader said, in addition to boosting investor confidence, the Spirit of Enterprise Awards encourages businesses to be aspirational and proud of the role they play in the local business community. After months of anticipation, it was great to see the winners revealed. I would like to again congratulate all the finalists and winners. You are all ambassadors of the many excellent businesses of different sizes and sectors across our borough. In a year that has brought additional challenges for everyone, business included, it was great to celebrate business success. The virtual awards ceremony ran very well and I'd like to praise the sponsors and everyone involved in organising this. Special crystal trophies were delivered this week to all winners to enable socially distanced photos to take place. The category winners and sponsors in full. Employer of the Year, John G. Plummer and Associates, sponsored by P&S Personnel. Great Customer Service, Branford's in Caister, sponsored by Norse Group. Director, Business Owner of the Year, Mark Dixon of the King's Arms Flegborough, sponsored by Barclays. Investing in Future Growth, NGEN Diesel Products, sponsored by Itron, UK. Small or Medium Enterprise of the Year, NGEN Diesel Products, sponsored by Equinox Enterprises. Large Business of the Year, Haven Seashore Holiday Park, sponsored by ASCO World. Great Community Contribution, the Island Cafe and Boating Lake, Access Community Trust, sponsored by Potter's Friends Foundation. Great Family Owned, King's Arms Flegborough, sponsored by Great Yarmouth Borough Council. Leisure and Tourism Business of the Year, Haven Seashore Holiday Park, sponsored by GYTABIA. Joy and excitement as entire school is packed up and moved to a new £7 million building. Staff at North Dean's Primary School in Great Yarmouth are busy filling and labelling boxes while pupils enjoy an extra few days at home ahead of half term. When they come back it will be to a new building and after more than 80 years service their old classrooms will no longer exist. Head teacher Debbie Whiting said because of COVID-19 they weren't able to mark the milestone in the way they would have liked. And while there is nostalgia for the building, current pupils were excited about the new facilities after the keys were officially handed over on Wednesday, October the 21st.
Their last teaching day on Monday had been quite a sad day, she said, adding, but it will be lovely in the new school. It's damp and cold here with buckets in the corridor. It's not a great building. But it is not a closing down. We are relocating and the journey for North Deans continues. She said having a modern new environment would have a positive impact and enable the school to come together on one site, not dot around in mobiles. Moving during a pandemic in a year when half the children have not been to school will go down in history, she said. Contractors were due to complete the building in the summer, but were pulled off site during lockdown and a planned move over the holidays was put back until half term. When the building is empty, it will be demolished and returned to green space. In its 82 years, generations of children have passed through the original building. A letter to parents from Mrs Whiting said it was a time of joy and excitement. However, she said it was disappointing former staff and pupils could not be invited in for a final farewell. The school has 379 pupils including some from the former Alderman Swindell School, which closed in a merger aimed at providing the new school at North Deans. A new £9 million school is also taking shape on the old Swindell Beresford Road site for up to 95 boys aged 5 to 16 with social, emotional and mental health needs. School to close for deep clean after coronavirus cases. Lynn Grove, an academy in Gorston, had confirmed earlier this week that some people at the school had tested positive for the virus and a large number of pupils have had to self-isolate. In a letter to parents on Thursday, October the 22nd, Principal Alison Mobbs said, given the number of staff and pupils currently not in school, and in order to ensure the best possible start to the new half term, we have decided as a precautionary measure to close the school to pupils and all but essential staff tomorrow, Friday the 23rd of October. This decision is supported by the local authority and our sponsor, Creative Education Trust. This will allow us the additional time to deep clean the entire site, Ms Mobbs said. Parents have been advised Friday, October the 23rd will not be classed as a holiday and that all pupils should follow their normal timetable online. New walk-in COVID-19 testing station to open in town. A new coronavirus testing site will open in Great Yarmouth in a bid to create additional capacity in the area. The new testing site is set to open on Nelson Road Car Park in Great Yarmouth on Friday, October the 23rd. Norfolk's Health Protection Board applied to the Department of Health and Social Care to create the additional capacity in the county. It will be walkthrough only and is in addition to permanent and mobile testing sites that are already in operation. News of the opening of the site comes after Great Yarmouth has seen a rise in cases in recent weeks, with 24 new cases in the central area and Northgate and 22 in Yarmouth Parade. Talking about the site, 
Norfolk County Councillor Leader Andrew Proctor said, We're pleased to be working with the government to bring this extra testing site to the county. It means those living in Great Yarmouth have another way to access tests, helping us to track the virus and prevent the spread. Well, that's all the news from me for this week. Thank you for listening. And whatever you're doing, keep well, keep safe and be kind to yourself. Well, that's all we have for you for this edition of Grapevine. Grapevine, volume 40, number 43, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content in the main is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. I'm not sure at the moment who will be our newsreader next week as unfortunately Andrew is still unavailable. But I hope that you will join us once again for that, whatever. In the meantime, from Margaret, Dusty and myself, it's bye for now. Have a great week and keep well and safe. Bye. Thank you.